So I Googled creatures that live in the dark. You ever done that before? It's kind of, kind of strange. I knew I was going with my sermon, so check this dude out. Like, most of these little creatures are, are sea creatures, so they live so far down, there's no sunlight. So if he looked in the mirror, he'd probably freak out, right? Um, whatever that thing is, that's a little bat that lives in a cave. He never sees light, except for the guy. Now, what in the world? I actually asked Jesus when I saw this, like, why did you create, what, what purpose? I know you created all things and sustain all things, but why? <laughs> and then that little creature, got night vision. And then what in the world? Like, Lord. Lord probably laughed after he created that thing. <laughs> he had to. He had to. Well, when I was thinking about that, I, was, I thought about what things live in the darkness of my heart and my mind. What things live in your, the darkness of our heart and our minds? Things like doubt, fear, worry, anger, selfishness, pride. We can name the list, right? Speaking of darkness, I may have told some of you this story before, but a long time ago, um, working at my other church before we started Novation, they had just installed uh, motion detectors in the bathroom. So when you'd open the door, the light would click on, and then it would wait about 10 minutes, and then if there was no motion, it would shut off. So one day, I was, I was reading in the bathroom, and uh, wink, wink, and I must have read too long, and the lights went out. And my first OCD thought was, did I just go blind? Like, I really, that was my thought. I thought I just went blind in the bathroom. And then I realized what it was, and I think I grabbed a thing of toilet paper and did a little thing up and make the motion and the lights went back on and everything was, was good. But being in the dark, that's the dark, it can be freaky, right? I mean, that's why we give kids a little nightlight or whatever, because if you've got even just a, a little glimpse of light, it's better than complete darkness. We're in a, a series that we started a couple weeks ago called I Am, and we looked at the fact that Jesus is the great I Am. He is the one who spoke to Moses in the burning bush who said, I am who I am. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus lays out seven statements. Seven is the number of completion in Scripture, number of perfection. He lays out these seven I am statements that his I am is the answer to, to your I am not. We have been spoken, I am not capable, I'm not lovable, I'm not worthy, I'm not worth it. The enemy subtly speaks those I am not statements to us, then it becomes a way of life, it becomes a way of thinking. And we need Jesus to say to our I am nots, I am. And last week we looked at he's the bread of life, and this week we're going to look at he's the, the light of the world. And I'm just praying that he would truly come in and, and, and shed his light on each one of our hearts, on our minds. He said in, in John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in the darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. It's one of my favorite verses. I love this metaphor of light, of what, who Jesus is and the reality of who he is. Definition of, of light, I guess morally speaking, would be, well, first of all, intellectually, light would be walking in truth. 
walking in God's reality. And darkness would be, in the mind, is unbelief. It's God's out there. He's not good, and he really doesn't know what's best. That's, that's where darkness creeps in. And Paul and several of the other scripture writers use this, this metaphor for darkness in our minds, and it's a false vision of God, a false vision of who the Father is. That's why Jesus came, to reveal the Father, to show us what God was really like. And morally, light is just doing what God tells us to do and not doing what he tells us not to do, believing that he knows what's best believing that he, whatever he tells us to do or not to do is because he loves us and he wants what's best for us. And then darkness would be morally, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil where we want to be our own boss, call our own shots and, and leave him out of it and, and be our own Lord. And so that causes problems, obviously. So the context of this I am statement that he's the light of the world, I, I've read this probably a hundred times in my life. I love the Gospel of John. And it clicked for me that the context is the woman caught in adultery. You've all heard that story before. It's the context is the woman caught in adultery. So I'm going to take the context of I'm the light of the world, and we're just going to look at it in three, three categories. Light and law, light and love, and light and life and see this story unfold to get to this statement that he's the light of the world. I think you're going to dig it. I had so much, like, whoa, putting this together just was really stirred me up spiritually. So first of all, let's talk about light and law, in particularly the law of Moses. The story goes, early the next morning, he was back again at the temple, talking about Jesus. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. Now, a couple things stand out to me. Where's the guy? Why'd they just bring her, right? And it shows you the framework that they were under in, in, their, in their mindset. Like, and the other part, I'm not trying to be graphic or, or, or anything like that, but it, it says caught in the act, not heard that she had committed adultery, but I, were they in the bushes? I don't know. But something they, they caught in, in the act, and they grabbed her. She probably was not fully clothed by the time they got to, to Jesus. Man, it hit me. This is the darkest moment of her life. Shame and guilt and fear and being humiliated. Man. Let's talk about for just a second the light of the world and the law of Moses. How does law work? When you think of law, think of it in three categories. There is civil law, and civil law is there for the protection of a city or citizens and so forth. So you have civil law. Then you have ceremonial law, we see in the Hebrew Scriptures or the Old Testament. And the, and the ceremonial law was put in place to outwardly show the world 
God's people. And so that's why they dressed different. That's why they ate a different diet and so on and so forth. It was the, the worship in the temple and the tabernacle. That all was an outward expression of the Hebrew people. Now, Jesus came and fulfilled all the shadows that the law had. Now, the third category is moral law, and that's where the Ten Commandments really kind of show up. If you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four are all about loving God, putting God first, and the second six are all about loving your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said all the law can be summarized in love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. That fulfills all of this. And so when you think of, of, of that kind of part of the law, what, what, is, what is that doing? Well, the law exposes our guilt and darkness. The law is a fault finder. That's all it does is it's a mirror that says, oh, you did it wrong <laughs> or whatever. It's a fault finder. You know, like those uh, things you see on the road where it'll show the speed limit and then if you're going over it, it starts flashing at you. It's like yelling at you. I always feel like, you're yelling at I get it. I'm going too fast, you know? But it's just finding fault in your speed. Speaking of that, I was thinking, in the last 25 years, I've had two motor vehicle violations. Pretty good. Check your records, right? Um, but <laughs> I, uh, the, the one farthest back, I was with... Kristen and Joel Diebel, we all worked together at the same church and somebody else. And we were driving to the family Christian store to get Bibles or whatever. The family Christian that's right over here around the corner from the church. It used to, now it's like a mattress store. But uh, I was obviously speeding and got pulled over right around Stanley Lake there. And when, when we got pulled over, I'm thinking, I'm with my young disciples. Like I've known them since they're in ninth grade. And Pastor Scott's getting a speeding ticket, right? <laughs> what an example. Um, and the officer comes over, and I roll down the window, and he says, you know, you were going 11 miles an hour or something like that. And, and I said, sir, I am so sorry. Like I said, I haven't had a ticket in at least 10 years. And I said, could you show me mercy? And he goes, nope. And he <laughs> handed me a ticket and said, take it and enjoy. And that piece of paper showed me I was guilty. It was, it was the fault finder. Um, fast forward about 10 years later, it was, it was before we started Novation, and I had just preached at a Wednesday night service, and um, the kids were all with, with me, and I crossed over a busy road that, like, probably purpose, purposely, um, you were only to take a right turn. And I didn't really notice the sign. Okay, maybe I did. I got to be real. I'm preaching, right? Um, but I, I just wanted to get across the street that way. And there was no cars coming. Well, all of a sudden, I'm getting pulled over again with my kids. And they're freaking out in the truck going, uh-oh, Dad, Dad, you're going to jail. And um, we ended up, I got pulled over, I kid you not, right in front of my mom and dad's house. So my dad comes out because he saw the lights going off, and he just wanted to see the commotion was going on. He rec realized it was me, and he goes to the police officer, please don't give him a ticket. He's a pastor. And I said, Dad, you're making it worse, man. He's probably going to give me two now. And, but it was like in that moment, I was guilty. That guy found 
the law found fault in my driving on both of those instances. I say all that to say this. She was guilty. She was guilty. She was caught in the act. The law is an accuser. It's an accuser. The law, here's the hard part when you read this. The law demanded punishment. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, in the law of Moses, it says, if a man commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, both the man and the woman have committed adultery, both the man and woman who have committed adultery must be put to death. Just scratch your head sometimes when you, when you read, read things like that. The Pharisees, they used the law of Moses to hide behind. They were, they were hypocritical, when, and Jesus exposed their hypocrisy a lot and tell them that you put these things on people's backs and you don't even follow it yourself, and they hid behind it, and they used it to expose people and to condemn, and Jesus called them out on it a lot. But the truth is, the law does show you and I where we fall short of His glory, where we fall short of his purpose for our life. Again, love God all, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. We all fall short of that. All the law can do for you is just find fault in you. Paul talks about this in Romans 7. And so that tells us that trying to have a relationship with God through thou shalts and thou shalt nots or do's and don'ts or rules is not how God ultimately intended his, to have a relationship with his creation. Thank God for Jesus. Jesus came to reveal the heart of God and what God is really like. In uh, John chapter 1, verse 17, it says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one had ever seen God until Jesus showed up. He said that about himself. And so Jesus turned the law on its head in several places, right? In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you heard it said in the old, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, love those who harm you. Bless those who curse you. He flipped that. And he does that like six, at least six or seven times in the Sermon on the Mount where he's saying, I'm greater than the law of Moses. What I'm saying is greater than the law of Moses. That's what got him killed in a lot of ways because they, they didn't want to hear this. They didn't want to hear that something was greater than the law of Moses. So people, the law accuses, people accuse. We've all had that. The devil is the accuser. That's actually a name given to the devil in Revelations 12, that he's the accuser of the brethren. And so when you hear a little a thought in your mind accusing God, God's not really good. God's not going to answer your prayer. God doesn't really have your back. That's not coming from it. That's coming from the evil one. He's the accuser. He accuses God to us all the time. And then he accuses us and says, oh, if you were really a Christian. Oh, I hear it all the time. Okay, pastor. I actually hear people say that to me sometimes. But you're a pastor. Yeah, I'm a fallen pastor, that's for sure. I know that. But we accuse ourselves. We can be our, our worst critics in many, in many ways. So how does Jesus respond to this pickle that 
that the Pharisees put him in. He's in this, in this quandary, right, of if he says, yes, stoner, then he's going to lose his reputation as a loving Messiah, humble, loving Messiah. If he says no, then they'll accuse him of not believing in the law of Moses. How does he respond? I love this. We're going to flip from light and law to light and love. It says, after they questioned Jesus, what should we do? It says, but Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. Most scholars believe that he was writing the sins of her accusers, pride, hypocrisy, judgment, whatever. And um, it actually, some of our later manuscripts of the Gospel of John actually say that he was writing down their sins. Plus, the Greek word for, for writing here means to write down a record against something. That's the, the heart behind that word. Plus, Jesus is the Son of God, God in the flesh, knows all things. So I think we could draw that conclusion. Then it says, continues, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. They're going, hi, what did we get ourselves into here? The word for sin is that you've never even desired sin, let alone acting out a sin. He says, if any of you are perfect, fire away. And isn't it interesting how easy it is for us to see the sins of others, the failures of others, and not see it in ourselves? How many know what I'm talking about? It's so easy to point out somebody else's thing while I'm, I'm overlooking my own stuff. Jesus is good at, at flipping that, that we worry about ourselves and, and, and not everybody else. And the longer I walk with Jesus, I've been walking with Jesus for 28 years. I didn't, wasn't raised in church, wasn't raised a Christian. Um, the longer I walk with him, the more aware of my own sinfulness I am. But I'm also more aware of his grace and mercy towards me. So it's, it, I think you just realize that I fall short of, his, of who he is, yet mercy and grace and power to live the way he wants us to live. So the story continues. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Don't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Wow. Now, I thought about this. Why did the oldest leave first? Because they probably thought to themselves, like, oh, I got a longer record of this stuff here. <laughs> You're gonna, I'm out. See where this is headed. Here she is, like it kind of breaks my heart when you re really see the depth of this. Here she is caught in her darkest moment. She's guilty. All of her accusers, though, have now gone. And she's standing in a crowd of people with the Son of God. Imagine what look of compassion was on his face to see 
the, 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 the free grace and love that comes from the Son of God. And I think maybe, maybe some of you, either watching, listening, or in this room, maybe you have some guilt and shame over stuff that's happened in your past and in your life, and, it, and it, you feel like maybe those, it's still accusing you, and you're still feeling guilt, you're still feeling shame over it, those accusers are still shouting at you. I believe you need to hear Jesus' words, neither do I condemn you. Jesus is the only one that was, that's perfect that could have picked up a stone and done what the law of Moses said to do. <laughs> he didn't. He says, I don't condemn you. Romans 8, 1, put it to memory. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. I think Jesus' word to somebody is, why are you holding against yourself something that I don't hold against you? Something that I, I died for and set you free. And then after Jesus says, neither do I condemn you, he says, go and sin no more. Go and sin. That's, that's, that's been abused by a lot of preachers over the years, that's for sure. But we, we have to remember that Jesus, Jesus is not sweeping her sin or our sin under the rug. He, he doesn't t make light of sin. I mean, we, he came to the cross for our sin. He came to defeat and put an end to sin by his life, death, and resurrection. So he doesn't sweep it under the rug. Here's his own words. Jesus said in John 3.16 through the end of that chapter, he says, check, check this combination of light and love here. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that their deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. The, uh, when you go to a doctor, a doctor is making a judge about your physical condition. You know, we see judgment always as, hey, you know, it's that, you're off with you. No, Jesus just came to tell it like it is. He came to expose darkness so that we could live in his reality. He's our creator. He knows. He knows how we're wired. So Jesus is saying to her, listen, you don't have to walk in darkness. You can walk in the light. Stop walking in darkness and pursue the light. Agreeing with Jesus is faith. Jesus, I, you are who you say you are, and I am who you say I am. That's, that is faith working in our lives. He's the light of the world. And in, in, that, in that moment, he wasn't just the light of the world. He became the light of her world. October 26, 1992, he became the light of my world. He already is the light of the world, but I acknowledged that I needed him and that I wanted to walk as his disciple. I wanted to walk as his follower. You know what? 
he can be the light of your world too. The last little part here is light and life. Is our text for the day. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. The longer that I, that I walk with Jesus, um, you already grabbed it. The longer I walk with Jesus, I've walked with Jesus, the more uh, aware of this, how powerful this scripture is, and it makes more sense to me the longer I walk with him. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, talking about Jesus, and, and by the Word, all things were created and are hold together. Then the verse continues, it says, in him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it. This was the true light that coming into the world enlightens every person. We don't make Jesus Lord. He already is. In our evangelical language, we often say, did you make Jesus Lord of your life? I don't make him Lord. He's Lord whether I acknowledge or not. We, we come into agreement with him. We acknowledge that he's Lord. We acknowledge that he's Savior and we acknowledge that he's the light of the world. We don't make him the light of the world, but when you begin to become his follower and put, put his words, his life following him, he says, you'll never walk in darkness. I mean, no, that's good news. That, that's the heart of this is we follow him, then he's going to turn the lights on in the darkness in my mind. Salvation is moving from darkness to light, and it's a journey of pursuing that light. I've asked Chris Ingalls to share a bit of his testimony with you. Um, Chris is, leads our spiritual growth ministry here at Novation. He and I have been doing ministry together for like 25 years, and, or somewhere in that neighborhood, and youth ministry to, to everything and, and through Novation, too. Uh, he's a good dude. He's also got a cool, his story, I felt prompted by the Spirit to ask him to share how he as, a, as someone who was raised in church, but didn't come into the light until a little bit later in, in life for him, his story is, is, is powerful in just hearing how you move from, from darkness to light. I was thinking the condition of my heart um, when the light of, light of life, when I was exposed to the light of Jesus Christ was probably pretty close to that last picture that Scott provided of things that dwell in the dark, where you look at it and you're like, I'm not sure if I should be scared or just disgusted. Um, that's a pretty, that's pretty accurate description of my heart because as a sophomore in high school, I prayed a different kind of prayer. Um, after years of being around a great little church similar to Novation, um, I prayed uh, that, uh, well, I told Jesus that I knew he was real, and I knew his message was true, but I was not going to follow him anymore. Um, and I was very faithful to that prayer and that promise for several years. But fast forward those years, early on a Sunday morning, I'm in the basement of my parents' home. My mother, very tender-hearted mom, 
calls down and says, Chris, would you please make it to church? Would you please come to church later this morning? I mumbled out some sort of promise with not really any real intent of keeping it. First, because very much a selfish jerk. And uh, second, because I was also beginning to feel the effects, the inevitable effects of a morning following what at that time of my life I would call a very good night, I guess. So, um, but I managed to drag myself out of bed, head out to church, walked into the atrium, and as I walked in, I realized I was, I was there for, I was there for the beginning of the last song. Now, when I say the last song, I mean the 30 or 40 minutes of worship, then the 45-minute message, and then the last song right before service closes. I got there just as that was about to begin. So I'm feeling a little guilty, um, very aware that I look and smell pretty rough, so I'm going to just, I'm going to hang out in the atrium until service is done and deal with the pain that I'm sure would show in my mom's eyes after that. So I'm standing there just a couple of moments when a woman whom I, I did not know comes out of a side hallway into the atrium, notices me, says hello, has a, just a little bit of conversation, and then asks if she could pray for me. Um, on the outside, I agree, while on the inside, my eyes are rolling and I am moaning, you got to be kidding me, right? Because, like I said before, selfish jerk. Um, so she begins to pray, and then br just shortly after that, stops, looks me dead in the eye, and says, Chris, this is Jesus talking. And at that very moment, um, she would go on and, and have a couple of words of prophecy or whatever to speak over me, which I still recall to this day, almost 25 years later. Um, but at that very moment, that selfish jerk on the inside was getting worked over pretty well. Um, yet how I describe it is when she said that in my heart, I, for the first time in my life, I was overwhelmed and honestly, I was just crushed with the weight of my sin and the darkness of my heart. Um, and the very next moment, my next breath, my next heartbeat, that, that crushing weight was gone and replaced with the light of the love and grace of Jesus. And I knew from that moment that I would forever follow him, the one that I prayed to reject years before. And I'm kind of prompted with this as after first service, a couple of the guys that I've shared this story with before said, man, you left out this one part that's really good and, and kind of funny. Um, but I want to, and it's applicable, so I'll, I want to share it real quick. Uh, as I said, it was the very end of the service. The first person that came walking out of the double doors and then a couple of people behind her were my mom and my second mom. My second mom, a long-time family friend, 
the Ingalls and the Fritzlers, and my mom and her were very, very close. She was the first one out, and she looked, she, I could see her out of the corner of my eye. She looked over, and then she did a double take, and then she did one of these where she went, it's kind of the half, the half hand or whatever up to heaven. She puts a hand up in the air, and I see her mouth the word, finally, <laughs> right? Because her, her and my mom had prayed literally for years for me. Um, so I see her do that. On her heels is my own mom that comes out. She also does a double take, sees what's going on, and just breaks down. Applicable because both of them, who've been followers of Jesus and, and his light for years, knew almost immediately that this wasn't Chris just getting prayed for over in the corner and having a bit of an emotional response to someone praying for him. They knew in a moment that light was shining in the darkness. Mm. That's awesome. Thank you, guys. Yeah. It's a powerful story, and, and a lot of those represented in this room and, and online where the lights went on for whatever you saw. The light penetrates the, the darkness, and it pushes away this false view of God, and we see it in the face of Jesus, the light of the world. And for some, like, I have a pretty dramatic story in, in kind of like his in, in an instant where I had pushed away Jesus, but drama's not necessary to have to follow Jesus. It just is whoever follows me will never walk in the darkness. And it's just an agreement with him, Jesus, you're the light of the world, I want to follow you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow you through the Holy Spirit and get to know the Father in the life of Jesus and how he feels about you. So those of you younger folk in this room, you don't have to, it, it, it might be a process, but it's a, a continual walking and pursuing with him. And I really believe that's, you know, what he's calling us all to do. Because he said to his disciples and to us that we're the light of the world. So we get to be the light in a dark world around us where people are hurting and broken and frustrated. And we get to be the light because the light lives in us. And uh, it's like this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. So why don't you pray for us? Jesus, you are, you are Lord, and you are the light that leads to life. God, I pray for each of us continually, whether that journey is just starting or whether it's been on for decades, Lord. Continue by your Spirit to encourage us to pursue you, who is the light of life and who is Lord of all. God, may we experience the love and grace that your light sheds in our hearts and share that with others. Amen. Amen.